Hi, it's Lynn Galadner, and welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a writer and entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've learned that we succeed through inspiration from storytelling and deep and mutually beneficial relationships. This show began in 2018 after my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and I wanted a way to capture his stories and record his insights. It's grown since then to share stories of how people around the world make meaning from very ordinary pursuits. Now I focus on sharing the stories of writers, authors, and those in the world of publishing to learn how and why we create stories that help us make meaning from the mundane. I'm a former journalist and marketing entrepreneur, and I've been teaching writing for more than two decades. As a writing coach, I help authors build their brands and share their words. If you'd like to write with me, check out my offerings at lynngaladner.com. And you'll find more episodes of this podcast at makemeaning.org, as well as on every podcast platform you can think of. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Make Meaning Podcast. Now, on to the show. I'm super excited to welcome Rochelle B. Weinstein to the Make Meaning Podcast. Rochelle is the USA Today and Amazon bestselling author of several novels, including When We Let Go, This Is Not How It Ends, and Somebody's Daughter. Rochelle spent her early years always with a book in hand, raised by the likes of Sidney Sheldon and Judy Bloom. A former entertainment industry executive, she splits her time between sunny South Florida and the mountains of North Carolina. When she's not writing, Rochelle can be found on Miami's NBC6 in the mix, sharing book recommendations or teaching workshops at Nova Southeastern University, or you might find her hiking, reading, or finding the world's best nachos. She's currently working on her eighth novel, and I am so honored to call her a friend and mentor. Hey, Rochelle, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe it's taken this long. I feel like I've known you forever, but I just still feel really honored to have you on the show. Well, I am really touched and I'm really grateful to be here. And yes, I do feel like we've known each other forever. Now we just have to meet in person sometime, right? We will. We will. (laughs) Make it happen. Yes. We will. So I'm always curious about how successful and talented writers got their start. So what is your earliest memory of writing? Well, first, I'm going to chuckle and say, who's this successful, talented author that you're talking about? (laughs) I'm looking right at her. (laughs) Okay, so you got two hours? No, I'm kidding. So I was always a journal writer, and I was always terrified to put actual stories into the public domain, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And in the year 2000, I was working in the music industry and I had twin boys. They were about six months old and the company was bought by MTV and they moved everybody to New York City. And I opted to stay in Florida and they gave me a year severance. And it was Mm -hmm. the first time in my life since 14 Mm -hmm. that I wasn't working. And I was like, hold on a minute. Who am I? What am I going to do with my life? Now, don't get me wrong. Being a mom is a full-time job, very rewarding, gratifying job. So we're not minimizing being a mom, but I was a working girl and it was, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was in a little bit of an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. So coupled with always being a journal writer and just like inundated with all these feelings and these like, like these internal emotions and layers, I Mm -hmm. literally just sat down and wrote my first book. I had Mm -hmm. no formal training. Mm -hmm. I was raised by the likes of Danielle Steele, Sidney Sheldon, and Judy Bloom. Mm -hmm. I, those, I always say that those authors raised me (laughs) and, you know, again, I wasn't, I wasn't formally taught. 
I was a huge reader. And I, I will tell any writer out there that being a, 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 read, a voracious reader mm-hmm. is such an asset to your writing and making yeah, you a better writer. For sure. So I wrote that book. It sat under my bed for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And then a mom in the carpool line at school, mm-hmm. she's like, let us just read your book for, you know, shits and giggles. Mm-hmm. And I was horrified. I was like, I can't let anybody <laughs> read this. I was like, this isn't for public consumption. Uh-huh. So ultimately I let them read it. There were like 12 or 15 women. They loved it. They're like, why wouldn't you try to get this published? So yeah. I did the whole circuit, the Asian circuit and mm-hmm. anyone out there who's ever tried to put a book out knows how difficult it is to find an agent. Yeah, It's like finding your soulmate. So right. there is a funny story in here. My husband's ex-girlfriend from when he lived in New York City was an agent uh-huh. and she helped us out. And we had these like delusions of me and and Jen being on Oprah's <laughs> couch one day and talking about like Stephen being her ex, you know, boyfriend, but that did not pan out that way. But Jen was amazing and supportive. Mm-hmm. And she put me in touch with a fantastic editor. Mm-hmm. And I worked with her on that was what we leave behind my first book. And uh-huh. then I pitched it. I got rejected everywhere. I could mm. plaster my bathroom wall with rejection letters. That's how oh. long ago this was. Yeah because we had actual letters. (laughs) And I think I set it aside. And then I wrote my second book the morning after. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened. And that's when I met our mutual friend, Merle Saperstein, who just had a book come out. Yeah. And we were talking about like our goals for our writing and what we wanted. And I said, you know what? I don't have this crazy idea that I'm going to hit like a New York Times bestseller list. Like that wasn't my like Mm -hmm. aspiration. I had something I wanted to share with the world. I wanted... Mm -hmm tangible piece of evidence of what I had done, what I had created, something for my friends and family. And Mm -hmm. my expectations were pretty manageable. So that's when self-publishing was coming to to life and it was a viable option for authors. Mm -hmm. And this was more toward the beginning of that wave. This was 2011, 2012. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I decided that I knew I was going to get some critical feedback. I knew there were, you know, there was, oh, your book just wasn't good enough to get a traditional deal. You know, yeah. the, stig- the stigma associated yeah. with it. Yeah. And I bit the bullet and I did what I wanted to do for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry that this is such a long story, but no, I love it. It's, it's an important story because anyone who's out there and who wants to give up or thinks that there's this straight shoot to success, mm-hmm. it, there's not. Right. Every story is unique. So I self-published and, you know, with my marketing, advertising and promotional background when I was in the music business, Mm I worked it, I hired PR, Mm -hmm. you know, having a strong book that was professionally edited helped. Mm -hmm. I had networks in Chicago, LA, DC, Miami, New York, and I worked Mm -hmm. them, worked them, worked them. This was long before social media was really active at this point. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the books did really well. The books Mm -hmm. did really well. And Mm -hmm. by my third book that I wrote, Where We Fall, I was able to finally get an agent based on Dale's reports. That's amazing. So I got an agent and he got me my deal with Lake Union Publishing. I had already had such success with Kindle and Mm -hmm. Amazon. It was a a natural fit. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, after Where We Fall, I hit, I got a deal for somebody's daughter. And this is really the best part of the story. As we were, you know, I think we were doing like final proofreading or whatnot for somebody's daughter. And mm-hmm. I go on Publishers Marketplace, which is the Bible for authors, yeah. agents and whatnot to see what deals and what hub houses are buying and yeah. Yeah. who represents who in the business. And I pulled up my name. 
And it said there was a column for like bestseller status. And it said, what we leave behind hit USA Today bestseller list October of 2014 or something like that. Wow. So so the point is, I didn't know that I hit the USA Today bestseller list for the first (laughs) self-published book. Okay. And I found out it happened like two years after the book was out. Okay. And I found out four years later. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love so that. the whole moral of that long, painful story <laughs> is that you don't always have those accolades to lift you up and yeah. that life preserver to pull you through those hard times. You have to trust yourself. Yeah. Like I kept persisting, persisting, persisting without even knowing what had happened behind the scenes. And I'm almost glad that I didn't know. So I could, I trusted my gut and I kept moving forward and those remarkable strength. And to me, Mm-hmm. I'm most proud of that more than the actual hitting of the list. I love this. And I I did not know this. So I'm super glad to be finally hearing your whole story. And so I'm curious, after books one and two, and they did well, and it seemed like you kind of hit your groove, why go for an agent? So tell me like the thought process behind that. I think every author has that dream. I want an agent. I want a book, a traditional book deal. I want to hit a list, whatever the list is. I think that we all have these like goalposts that, you know, keep changing, you know, (laughs) as our careers progress. For me, now that I think about it, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was running a publishing house in my house. And I was like, this is just too much for me. Like I need, I need support. Like it was just, you know, some authors do it like seamlessly. They have like Mm -hmm. 20 self-published books and they're like machines and they're doing the marketing and this and the PR. I just felt I needed guidance. I needed an advocate. I wanted to align myself with an industry professional to guide Mm -hmm. my career. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to collaborate. Yeah. That's where I went with that. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to hear some of the nitty gritty about your novels. Like where do you find inspiration for your ideas? Let's start there. Okay. So here's my little, my elevator pitch here. I take emotions that I experience in real life and places that I love and that speak to my soul and I Uh fictionalize them. I mean, if you really want to hammer it down to something, that's what it comes down to. Okay. If you want to go a little further, I like to explore very topical issues. Like I, I hit on, you know, there was a sexual harassment book. Mm-hmm. There was my brother-in-law carrying GSD, a very rare genetic disease. Mm-hmm. I highlighted that in a book. And, and again, that's all still stuff that was prevalent in my lifetime. Like my kids were at a school where there were sexting scandals. And, oh, you know, I God. wanted to, not just my kids, kids yeah. all over yeah. the country in the world. For sure. Yeah. But I felt, you know, for that, for that book, I felt that parents and kids were so critical of the, the victim. Like where were the parents? Oh, she's a slut or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. And I felt like, well, what if it were your kid? You know, I wanted to show the flip side. I wanted to show some compassion. So Mm -hmm. I take these topical subjects. I take things that make me feel and I, and I fictionalize them, personal relationships, family, boyfriends, husbands, friends. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of me in a lot of my books. So talk to me about your writing process. Do you plan? Do you outline? Do you do you just write by the seat of your pants and and how long does it take? Talk me through that. Well, you know, there's that question, are you a plotter or are you a pantser? Yeah. yeah. That every author has asked. And you didn't ask it. You said it much <laughs> more eloquently. So I have been known to completely fly by the seat of my pants. Mm-hmm. And then the last couple of books, I've done a little bit more plotting. Mm-hmm. 
And it's really challenging to do because it's really mapping out your whole book in advance instead of like sometimes when I fly by the seat of my pants, Mm -hmm. my characters take me where I want to go and, you know, things change along the way. So it gives me a little bit more freedom, which ends up happening either way when you're plotting anyway. For sure. So I'm a little of both. It really depends. And my writing is I'll wake up in the morning. I really try to do some type of like stretching, yoga, Pilates, walking, just because I'm sitting all day. Yeah. And I'm an empty nester. I don't have little kids at home. So Mm -hmm. I have literally all day to write. So Mm -hmm. I will sometimes sit for way too long. So I try to do like, yeah, some breaking, but Mm -hmm. I'll write all day long. Okay. All day long. Sometimes after dinner, after I've had a cocktail, I'll go back to it. (laughs) Probably the best pages, right? Right. (laughs) So, and like when you're drafting a book, does it take a specific amount of time or is each book different? I'm pretty quick, which is probably not a good thing. I usually can write my books within like six to nine months. Plotting it takes about a month or two. So it's about Mm -hmm. a year. Yeah. Yeah. That includes revision or just the drafting? Well, no. Then it goes to, well, if it's picked up by the publishing house, Uh then, you know, we go through developmental edits, then we go through copy edits, then Mm -hmm. we go through proofread. So there's months of editing. So that's an interesting question. If it gets picked up by the publishing house. So you don't say, hey, I have this great idea. And they're like, cool, we'll give you a contract. It's like you write it. You hope they take it. They may not. Is that well? Every publishing house is different, and every mm-hmm. relationship with an author is different. And I always say, you're always as good as your last book. Mm-hmm. So I have sold all my. I've had all my contracts based on a completed manuscript. Okay. And now I'm at seven, eight books. I'm pretty sure I sold what you do to me, which is coming out in October on proposal, mm-hmm. and right now I'm on submission for book eight. Okay. So okay. it's on proposal, mm-hmm. also, okay. and like the first three chapters. So. Okay. You know, it all, it depends on your sales and mm-hmm. your previous sales. You know, again, it's, there's no cookie cutter. Every author, every um, publishing house is different. It's maybe the concept, they need it fleshed out more and they need to see more pages. They need, a, you know, a completed manuscript. So everyone is different. Yeah. That's exciting that you're at that point. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's funny exciting for you. <laughs> nauseating for me. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, it's funny because I I was always a pantser and I Woman of Valor, my book that you know is coming out this fall. I started in 2011 and I wrote like 60 pages, put it aside, came back to it in 2021 and totally started over. Like I'm like I like the premise, but it's got to change majorly. And then because I was pantsing it, I even had to keep track of the characters. Like had sort of a list, but it wasn't anything formal. And so it had a lot more revisions than I think maybe this next novel that I'm working on now will have because I've plotted it. Although I will say the first draft, I was disappointed that it wasn't better. <laughs> so I don't no, know. First drafts, first drafts are garbage. You just have to, it's like, it's literally like throwing that spaghetti up against the wall. Like I, I'll be writing and I'll be like, I'm just not feeling this and this sucks. And I'm just like, I just want to like slam my laptop and I'm like, just keep doing it. Just get it on the page. You will come back. You will varnish. You will polish. You will streamline, like just Mm -hmm. get it on the page. Yeah. Yeah. No one's looking at that first draft. That's true. I know. I know. But you mentioned something that's really important and time away from a manuscript is the best gift you can give your manuscript. I'm not always good at that because I'm always in a rush. I'm like, I want to get it out. I want to do this. I want to get it there. I want to submit it. Mm -hmm. And I have to like tell myself to slow down. And like, even if you take the weekend and just Mm -hmm. don't look at your manuscript and then come back to it, you know, Mm -hmm. days later with fresh eyes, that is like the best editing tool. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, you're also this book influencer. Like you're on Miami's NBC6, is that right? Six in the Mix, yeah? Yes. And so you have your book picks and you have your email newsletter. And I know every author that I know is like, you know, sort of bowing at your feet and like following what you do. And so tell me a little bit about how you got to this point of, you know, being somebody who's weighing in on, you know, books to recommend and, and authors to highlight and things like that. You know, it's such an interesting question because sometimes I don't even know how I became an author. Like that question, like it, <laughs> like it wasn't like I was like I woke up one day and it's like, oh, I want to be an author, and then suddenly here I am, like eight books, like like all these things like happen organically. And the same thing happened with being like a you know a book recommender. I I read a ton. It's mm-hmm. it's really important to me to keep reading and to support other authors. Mm-hmm. And I started with a column with Barbara Boss, mm-hmm. uh, booksbywomen.org. Mm-hmm. And I was just putting down the books that I read in a month's time mm-hmm. and just like a little short synopsis, you know, what to expect. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking that, you know, I'm in Miami and, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you're in Chicago. Just, I'm in you know, you Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. You know, I'm not in the, the literary hubs, New sure. York or LA. Yeah. So, you know, you always kind of feel like the stepchild. And <laughs> I was like, how can I make, build a bridge to bring a little bit more literary Mm-hmm. a literary world to, to my community. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the news and I was looking at the newspapers, which hardly even exist anymore. <laughs> and I, and I was thinking to myself, like, we need to have a literary presence down here. And it wasn't yeah. self-serving for me. Right. Um, it was truly to support authors, period, yeah. and, and books and reading. Yeah. So I had a friend that I worked with at NBC, Jen Jen Herrera, and I was I pitched her the idea. I was like, "Why don't we do this? No one else is doing it." She's like, yeah. "Oh my god, I love this idea." Uh-huh. And the next thing I know, it was last summer. It was exactly a year ago. We started mm-hmm. pitching books. But yeah. listen, it's so subjective. Mm-hmm. That even when you're recommending books, you know, I have all my favorites like Andrea Peskin Katz. She's with Great Thoughts, Great Readers and mm-hmm. Laura Margol and the Good Book Fairy and Jamie Rosenblatt, uh, Beauty in the Book and Renee's Reading Group. They all, and Zibby Owens, they all have, you know, their picks, but mm-hmm. we all know that it's, it's subjective and it's personal and mm-hmm. you're not going to please everybody with your picks and mm-hmm. you're not pizza. And <laughs> I just truly, truly, truly. So to answer the question. I truly just love supporting the author community. Mm-hmm. And it's oftentimes easier for me to hawk their books mm-hmm. than my own. Yeah, that makes sense. So it just felt like a natural evolution. It's so interesting that you say that Miami felt like it wasn't one of the big literary hubs because the Miami Book Fair is a big deal. I know. You know? know. So no, and it's a huge deal. And what Mitchell Kaplan has done over at Books and Books is absolutely incredible. We we saw Connie Ogle, she used to do reviews for the Miami Herald, those mm-hmm. kind of faded away. Mm-hmm. I was talking, you know, more media and press. Yeah. For that's authors. True. Yeah. yeah. Like a, there was a different angle. Sure. Sure. I was in Edinburgh recently, and that is a literary city. And it was just, there's like the Writers Museum, although it was highlighting like three white men, but at least <laughs> they had one. They did have an exhibit about like women writers. I'm like, thank you for something. But there were like so many literary things and events and oh, and the, even the independent bookstores, like it was so nice. I just found it really exhilarating to be in a city that just celebrates the literary. It was just Listen, really fantastic. hearing you talk about that, mm-hmm. no doubt, books and books, like the mm-hmm. Coral Gable store and Miami mm-hmm. Book Fair, it mm-hmm. sounds like you're you're describing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would never want to minimize that. 
publicly on a podcast. For sure. For sure. Um, but my point was, you know, have somebody having a, a, a connection to all these great books and being a, a voice for mm-hmm. these authors, you know, yeah. in these new books and, yeah. you know, sort of getting them out there. Well, I'm so grateful. That they're you not it. in a bookstore. If you're not walking into like in my neighborhood, if there's no yeah. bookstore. I know. I know. So I'm sure Merle told you that, but so for <laughs> people to hear book recommendations, it was, you know, a great place to get people to buy books. Absolutely. So you've been in the publishing game for a while. How have you seen the industry change over the years from when you first entered it to today? (laughs) The industry changes every time you blink. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, when I first started, self-publishing was on the rise. Now the market is filled Mm -hmm. with self-published authors. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny because I, I have people now that like want to self-publish and it's much harder for them to break through because, mm. because of that. Yeah. yeah. So there's that one piece. One big thing now is, you know, TikTok has really disrupted the business. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing how it's disrupted the New York Times bestselling list. You're seeing yeah. authors that have hit New York Times for every single book that comes out. They, they're not hitting the list now because it's filled with, you know, mm. everyone who's on book talk. Mm. You know, look at the success of Colleen Hoover. She's really disrupted yeah. our business, not in a bad way, but no. she's, you know, every everyone in the world wants to be the next Colleen Hoover. She's- <laughs> <laughs> what I love about her approach, though, it was completely humble. You know, she just sure. wanted her grandma to be able to read her book and she had no big plans. And it's like, right. I love happy accidents like that, you know. For sure. And listen, we lost USA Today bestseller list. And then we got it back literally, what, yesterday? I don't know if you saw the news. It's <laughs> I back. I didn't see that. Okay. So that's it's great. Back, so that's great news. But I just think that it's harder. It, it's keep, it keeps getting harder and harder and harder for authors to break through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, listen, when I started into now, I mean, remember ebooks were just on the rise, you know, mm-hmm. the bookstore disruption. Mm-hmm. And now AI is another thing that's, yeah. you know, a little scary for authors. Yeah. I had a, an editing client um, who wanted me to work with her on her novel revision. <clears throat> she had come to me as a developmental editing client and, and she's like, yeah, I want to come back to you to work through the chapters and do some coaching. And then decided, well, I'm just going to work with AI and I'll come back to you in the future. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'm not optimistic about this. And I don't know. I just feel like, is it even you writing? Is it your novel then? Like it's, I don't know. I feel like an old lady saying that, but no, no, I totally you know. listen. I feel the way the same way about that as I do like book talk. It's like, yeah. Do I really want to, if you're comfortable on video and, you know, being creative and cutesy and like, I just feel like I'm too old for that. Same, <laughs> same. Know. I yes. just feel like, and they're like, <laughs> oh, but you're missing this whole demographic. And I'm like, oh. I guess you just have to always like weigh what's, what's, what's your, yeah. what's your goal. But yeah. I will tell you that a lot of authors that I've spoken to, mm-hmm. personal friends, they will use AI for research. Okay. And I tried it out recently on a scene in my book. And I said, describe a frog dissection in a high school biology class. Okay. And it actually gave me some great like verbiage and words to use and technique. And then I put it in my own words. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's good. So um, tell me a little bit about your own writing community. So you're this, you know, you're out there and you're helping writers like me and and things like that. But who do you go to when you want, you know, a critique or just some support or to write together? Do you have sort of your sense of your own writer community? Well, first of all, my husband's my biggest supporter. I have to say that as cheesy as that sounds, (laughs) but like, he's like the person that I like, I bounce things off all the time. 
Okay. That's number one. But when I need like author, like he's not an author, he's a boring uh-huh. lawyer. Sorry, honey. <laughs> but um, Camille DeMaio and I, we are accountability partners most of the time where mm-hmm. we we literally have an Excel spreadsheet and mm-hmm. whatever books we're working on, we our goal is a thousand words a day mm-hmm. and we have to plug in our numbers and it's a little healthy competition and it's yeah. good to motivate. It's like, sometimes mm-hmm. I don't feel like writing them. I'm like, Oh, I can't, I gotta go. You know, I gotta get my words in for the day. So uh-huh. we do that. Uh, Sam Woodruff, who's another uh-huh. Lake union author. She is the most amazing, like early reader. Sam Woodruff is an amazing author and she is an incredible editor. Awesome. She just knows how to like mine a story and cull things and see like that big picture that sometimes you're too stuck in it to see sure. like, uh, so I go to Sam for a lot. I go to Sam for a lot <laughs> and early readers like my Lisa Barr and Andrea, uh, cats, they're, they're early readers for me and always giving me great advice and feedback. And yeah, it's hard, you know, when yeah. you, those first people to read your book. Yeah. I always say, I always tell my students to just really be selective in who they're showing their writing to so that they know what they're trying to do. They like their voice and they can give good feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, I mean, it's not even good feedback. They have to give honest feedback. Yes. Yeah. Um, because you can't have your best friends reading your book and being mm-hmm. afraid to say like, this is terrible. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So what's the vision for the future? You're working on book eight. What do you see down the road? Rochelle Weinstein's career, you know, what's that big vision? I don't know. And I think that's the beauty of it. I didn't mm-hmm. remember, like, you know how I said, I didn't know how yeah. my book influencer career started. And I don't know how my actual author career started. As long as I have stories in me, I'm going to continue to keep writing. And mm-hmm. I always say that anything else that comes along with it is the icing on the cake, like any kind of an accolade or any happy surprise. I'm doing what I love to do. Uh-huh. So like I said, and anything else that happens is just like frosting. Yeah. Love it. I love it. Well, before we finish, I always like to ask if you have any advice for aspiring writers who might be listening right now. Uh, Don't give up. Don't give up. Writing is editing. One door closes, another one opens. There's no straight shoot to success. Writing is rewriting and grow some really thick skin and don't read reviews. Do not read reviews. Have some, if you can't resist, have someone read them for you. Mm -hmm and tame them a little bit for you because there is some constructive criticism in reviews. Sure. Awesome. Well, Rochelle, you're one of the most generous people I know, and I barely know you. And so I can't wait to get to know you more. And I'm just so grateful, you know, for all the guidance you've given me and that you've given me your time today to share your journey. It's an amazing story. and I'm so excited to share it with the world. So well, Lynn, thank you. And to everyone out there, I had the honor of reading your book and they're in for a special treat. Mm, And Thank you because you did early read for me on on a, on a subject matter in my latest novel that's coming out in October. And it was really important input. So thank you for that. I'm so, I'm so excited to read it. I can't wait. So everybody buy the book. All right, Rochelle, thanks for being on the Make Meaning podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngaladner.com.